Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. New tap room now open at Sass Drive and Cameron in Regina. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. Joel Gasson with John Fraser. And we do have a lot to get to this episode. Of course, plenty of news going on in Ryderville. But uh, before we get to all that, there is the important news that I uh, I broke on Twitter on Sunday. If uh, I, If it's worth bragging about, I don't know. I think it is. It is absolutely one of the biggest scoops we've gotten all season. I mean, it's probably our only scoop, really. That's 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 fair. That's 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 also fair. But but it's a huge one. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so what I learned on Sunday was that the uh, the one, the only fake gainer will be returning to Twitter on Saturday morning for a very important announcement. This is coming from sources close to the fake rodent. Uh, they wish to be named remained anonymous. For their uh, safety and security. <laughs> I, Wait, the the fake rodent with the fake profile has fake sources. I mean, it only makes sense, right? It's true. It's true, right? It, this is like Inception. This is like you know, like layered Jello. This is this is man. We're in deep here. So, what this announcement is, I don't know. I, I wasn't able to obtain that information. Of course, naturally, everyone kind of went to uh, whether the roof would be open or not. But I feel like that's that's small potatoes for such a such a worthy announcement from his sources uh, that were leaking this information to me. It feels like, considering what was on the line, it should be grander than that. Will it agree. will it involve subway? I don't know. <laughs> will it involve punting something? We Perhaps. also don't know. I can tell you, it won't involve Arby's. No, no, no. But will it involve the letters A and F? Oh, without question. Of course. I mean, fake gain or in, making... in, in consequent, in the same sort of sentence together? I don't know. But the letters A and F will probably appear in the tweet somewhere, yes. <laughs> Just in his name alone, in his Twitter handle, the letters A and F appear. So. That's, that's, that's fair. But I mean, together, you're right. And I feel like they will, because on Saturday, it's just the... You just gotta just go watch the fake gainer account. Mm-hmm. Gotta watch. This is, the, again, the biggest scoop we've ever received. And uh, I don't know if that's awesome or lame. I'm gonna go with awesome. I mean, when you got Justin Dunk on your team, is it really even worth trying to scoop anything else, like, quite frankly? 
No, that's fair. I feel like if you ever hung out with Justin Dunk, he would just like he's so far ahead of the game that if like you were just about to finish your drink and he was in the other room, he would know just to bring you a drink. I mean, I would hope so. That's a pretty obvious one. Well, uh, okay, okay. That was like you... that was like you on the weekend, basically. Oh no, that's that's <laughs> that's fair. I, I I was very clairvoyant while we uh, while we hung out on the weekend and just kept saying yes, just keep bringing us more of this and uh, this will be good. So, um, you know it's you know it's good when the original plan was to record on Sunday, um, but. I had to slept in far too long and had to get back to the city. So here we are recording in our normal fashion, despite the fact that I was at your house for three days. Yeah, and well, I, I think it worked out in the end because, number one, we got, of course, the fake Gainer news. Uh, check your local Twitter listings on uh, Saturday for that one. Right. And there's also plenty of other news that we will get to on this uh, program. As uh, the MOP Award nominees were announced... Uh, nothing overly surprising there, but we will discuss kind of what happened with the Riders. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the game against the Eskimos last week and kind of what happened in that one. And a look ahead to the one ahead, as of course, as we know, if the Riders, I think if they even tie that football game, they will uh, clinch first in the West for sure if they win. Because, I mean, ties are incredibly rare, especially in the CFL where you can yes. easily get a rouge. So, yeah, first on the West, on the line Saturday It'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch, and this is a chance for history in Saskatchewan, as it's something that's only happened once since 1976, and that was of course Crazy. in 2009, where I believe Ryder fans have told me since then the season was canceled. Yeah, yeah, there was something weird that happened after that West Final, just like blackout, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. I do I do remember my wife turning to me the next day. Calling in sick, not because I mean we had a party. We always had had a great cup party, but because she told me at the time she felt like a member of her family had just died after two thousand nine. I don't remember what happened, and I don't want to really. It's like Voldemort. It's the thing that shall not be named hmm. on this podcast. But there was a thing that happened that made everybody feel real shitty. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, stuff that doesn't make <laughs> us feel shitty is, of course, our uh, favorite craft brews. Uh, John, what is in the glass this week? Well, I think after. Uh, this weekend um, and getting uh, be, having the ability to pick up our long promise from our sponsor Pile of Bones um, being extremely generous you know we were expecting you know we're getting together for the weekend maybe a flat or two uh, no 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 they gave us eight flats all of red all of white so realistically I think from now until Grey Cup although the speed at which I drink maybe like now until the West Final <laughs> will be simply red and white from pile of bones. You can't you just you can't you can't go wrong. I know it's not summer. So that's why I'm starting with the white IPA while I let the red ale warm up just a little. Get to get to that winter temperature. So summer to start, wintry and red to finish out. Also buy them both because they're delightful in your face hole. Absolutely. Uh, for me, uh, yeah, uh, sticking with the uh, sponsor provided beer as I didn't really feel the need to spend money on beer right now for obvious reasons. Exactly. I've, 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 because I had a feeling you were going to be drinking a white IPA because that is like the official beer of John Fraser. It's true. I have the red ale. It's tasty, <laughs> delicious. Yes, I actually have both beside me. I now do two, maybe three beers a podcast. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware at the speed at which you, you consume alcohol. <laughs> yes, good. you got to see that firsthand. <laughs> it's not the, the first time. Friday either, night. So, and it it's won't true. be the last. <laughs> 
So the big news, of course, this week uh, across the CFL was the introduction of the uh, most outstanding player nominees from every team. And uh, here in Saskatchewan, uh, pretty much everything went according to plan. If uh, for some reason you uh, have not heard who has been nominated by uh, the writers, by local media and the coach, um, it is, of course, Cody Fajardo, most outstanding player. Charles News, most outstanding defensive player. Dan Clark, most outstanding offensive lineman. John Ryan's most outstanding special teams player and uh, Dakota Sheffley rookie of the year. I do have a piece coming soon to uh, three down nation, or perhaps it might already be out depending on uh, when you listen to this here podcast, uh, kind of breaking down my thoughts on the selections, but more so I uh, kind of put in a little bit of a percentage on the chances of them winning the award. Mm-hmm. And um, I also add in Craig Dickinson as coach of the year because he, it should be a slam dunk that he is going to be one of the three nominees you would think along with um, Orlando Steinhauer and Kahari Jones. Yeah. Uh, What's kind of been really interesting about this whole MOP debate and especially around like the MOP and the coach of the year award is kind of how overly sensitive a lot of people have gotten about their guy winning this thing for some reason. Yeah, Twitter especially a... like especially between uh, the Riders fan base and Hamilton's fan base, where both sides are convinced that their team is going to win, like they're conservatives and liberals or something. Yeah, it's really it's it's a really strange divide, which I think is really adding to the rivalry of the two clubs, and it's just nasty on Twitter. Um, I personally, because I don't have a say in your pieces, because you are far more knowledgeable and talented than I. Um, I can't argue with with Cody Fajardo as the uh, team MOP. I would have maybe gone with William Powell. I think you know, the case could have been made for William Powell because I think having that running threat and that offensive line allowed Fajardo to become what he becomes. Um, I don't see Cody Fajardo winning it at the league level. I just don't. I, I think that that, that no. that's got to be Brandon. I think after I, I, the last I, couple I, weeks, I, I think that's Fajardo. Be Brandon Banks. Yeah, like, I, I think Fajardo is going to come out of the West. Yeah, it's, that's uh, that. Yeah, that's really tough to argue with, especially after what happened in Winnipeg. So yeah, like I, I think he's going to come out of the West. He'll be the Western nominee. So you get to that point, you never really know what might happen with the voting. How the voting really broke down, it could break down regionally. Which I'm yeah. going to bring up a theory in uh, coaching for Coach of the Year in a little bit here, if we want to. Um, if it was a lot of other, if BC was a playoff team, then I think Brian Burnham really causes a threat to Cody not getting to the uh, main award show. I would agree. Not, and I, it's tough because I think Burnham has been good enough to definitely deserve to be there, but voters have historically not looked well upon most of any player nominees from players on teams who didn't make the playoffs, even though it really had nothing to do with them not making the playoffs. A- a- absolutely, um, and I and I do think Cody is is a good pick, like you said, to to represent the West, and and I do think that I just don't see him winning it at the league level. I just don't see I him don't beating. So I, 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 I think it should stand. be. I think, I think if you look historically, if you if you were to look back on this uh, award, you know, alumni, this group of award nominated players, in say five, ten, fifteen years, um, you would look back and there would be a lot of guys, and they'd be like, oh, but then you'd have to you know, you'd have to know the context of how many players got hurt this year. Oh, yeah. Andrew Harris got busted for PEDs. You know, there's a lot of weird things yeah. that happened that led to kind of a different crop of MOP candidates across the league. And Brandon Banks is really the only guy that has kind of had the sort of typical historical MOP-type season 
Not yes. that Cody Fajardo's numbers have been bad, but there there's there hasn't there isn't really anything on that level that like jumps out at you that says, Wow, this guy has been the best player in the league this year. He's been very good, he's been very consistent, he's been very important, yes. he's he's hit all the right boxes. There just is that one little notch missing of wow that Brandon Banks has had. Well, well, and, and to a four thousand yard passing season is is very impressive, but it's not usually CFL levels impressive. Now, again, this is the MOP versus MVP. Mm-hmm. I think Cody Fajardo was his team's MVP, bar none. I oh, mean, there's no question. Is, there's no question about that. He he was the guy. He became the guy. The second that I mean, I, I, again, I've said the line before a couple of times that my father in law, you know, looks at me the day after Zach Kolaris goes down and goes, "Well, my season's over. Let's hope the Blue Jays don't suck." And good good thing that the Fajardo was there. It could have been a real bad year for my father-in-law. But uh, yes. <laughs> need, needless to say, it, it's yeah, you're right. There's not that eye-popping stat. There's not that eye-popping victory. There's there's you know nothing stands. He's been very, very, very good. And the Riders would not be playing for first place in the West Division if not for Cody Fajardo. That's that goes without saying, right? Um, I did. Yeah, and the more I think about it, I, I, I do think William Powell had one of the quietest thousand-yard seasons you've ever seen, and and it's it's tough to disagree with anybody, really. I mean, you could make arguments, and that shows that you know some of the depth on this team. You could make an argument for another guy, but either guy, either guy is okay. You know, I think I I love seeing Dakota Shipley as as outstanding rookie. No real argument for me there. Well, there was no uh, other name on that list that stood out like well, whatsoever. Well, that's that's exactly it, right? <laughs> I mean, that one was a no-brainer. I mean, to step into the Ryder offensive line and, and contribute the way he did and not look out of place, that's huge. You know, Dan Clark has been, you know, you know, a local guy that's come a long way since, you know, nabbing that starting center job. And, you know, he's the, he's the anchor of that offensive line. Uh, John Ryan, I don't think Brent Lowther's season was, was good enough. You know, Ryan's had his warts with his directional punting, but... I think especially, you know, while you and I were watching that game that they played against Edmonton, his ability to just boot the piss out of the ball and flip the field when you need to, it's just, you know, that that to me is is, is worthy of the award. The other one, too, I, I really like Cam Judge's performance this year. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that eye-popping stat, you know, which, again, your voters are usually looking for. He doesn't have that massive, you know, like, oh, he had... 700 tackles you know he doesn't have anything like that but to me when he was out of the lineup it was more noticeable than when teams would you know you could take charleston hughes out of a game you couldn't take cameron judge out of the game but both are great picks right so yeah yeah so in my, in my piece on three donation i mentioned honorable mentions for all the awards um except rookie where i just put na <laughs> it's true there really isn't another one you're absolutely right like and so yeah, for me like to go through them i think uh, i did a mea culpa on cody fajardo where i was with you last week on william powell now i'm not i think cody fajardo was correctly the unanimous selection um william powell very good but cody fajardo just convinced me in that game that okay yeah yeah he's the guy um charleston hughes i did i agree with you i still i even said in the piece i probably would have voted for cam judge yeah. Um, and it, it was interesting that Charleston Hughes' pick was not unanimous, which shows that, that there was a little bit of dissension in the ranks there. And I kind of yeah. I applied that too then to, uh, I guess, Charleston Hughes was kind of a representative of a defense that was stronger as a whole than the individual parts. Like, there, right. there, no, was, there, wasn't, fair, there wasn't yeah. really any 
there aren't really, you know, Charleston Hughes' first half of the season aside, beyond that, there isn't really any one individual that truly, really stands out on the defense. Like Cam Judge and LJ McCray and these guys have played great, but there isn't anyone really with super eye-popping numbers. They've just been a really solid defense all around, mm-hmm. which if we go back to the off-season, start of the season, where we talked about where this team was headed defensively, we thought they would be a more tradi- a better, more traditionally sound defense than they have been in years past under Chris Jones with Willie Jefferson. And that's exactly what we saw. And I think sort of going just basically with the guy with the best numbers, maybe not necessarily the, you know, the most dynamic or the most impactful player over, you know, the least the last few weeks of the season, but generally just strong numbers all year, I think kind of reflects that in the defense a little bit. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. There are no, and I think that's a testament to this, you know, this slightly unusual season for the riders is you're right nobody across the board has eye-popping numbers but there's so many guys with just solid numbers again you Mm -hmm. look at that defense nobody is exceptionally standing out everybody's just good you know William Powell has a quiet thousand yard rushing season Cody Fajardo you know comes out of nowhere and throws for four thousand yards you know no receiver although all the receivers were generally solid Nobody had, you know, those eye eye grabbing numbers to, you know, take take the discussion away. And I think that is the the rider's biggest strength mm-hmm. as they continue to move forward. And, you know, I don't want to jing I don't want to phrase or jinx them, but I, I think at this point with the Eskimos resting people, you know, it, it's fair to say that they're they're more than likely going to be the West Division champions, which is something that, you know, you and I absolutely did not see coming at the beginning of the year. So you know, these no are Pretty much no, no one did. Denny Austin no, exactly. went back and Denny Austin post media went back and looked at all the preseason predictions from like a panel of media. No one had the writers up there, so we're not alone in that. No, absolutely, and and it's it's really been you know a, a bit of a remarkable season. I think these MLP awards that you know you have a bunch of guys that you look and you go, yeah, he was good. I don't know if he was great. Really, is a testament to how just how this team has been this year. Yeah, it's almost kind of patriot-like in a way, where everyone's just kind of good and plays their role and does their job, as much as I roll my eyes at <laughs> the Patriots and whatever. But, yeah, and, you know, to continue on, um, Cam Judge slam dunk Canadian. I did put Dan Clark and uh, Mike Edam down as yeah. um, as honorable mentions. They weren't going to win, but they're Canadians that have also had a very good year. And you mentioned the Dan Clark one as most outstanding offensive linemen. I think, I think that's one that's really deserved, and I know... Yeah. I think we've been among the people that have been a little hard on Dan over the years as kind of yep. maybe sort of the weaker link within a good line. I'm not going to say weakest because he's still a, he's still been a pretty good football player, but he's definitely taken it to another level this year. And that was very apparent when Brendan Labatt missed most of the season. And for the first time ever without Brendan Labatt in the lineup, the offensive line still looked good. Because yeah. generally speaking, when blue goes down, they're trash. That's oh, pretty much absolutely. that's pretty much been the history of this team without Brandon Labatt. So the yep. fact that Dan Clark was able to hold that together, and that, that of course plays into Dakota Shepley stepping in so well as well, that certainly helps. But I think that speaks to Dan Clark. Dakota Shepley, obviously special teams, uh, sorry, Moses Sandy, rookie, there is no other options there. <laughs> Literally, nobody else. Yeah, and special teams, I get John Ryan, the punt average, and... I think Brett Lowther, in a sense, was hurt by the fact of how historically good for the Riders his season was last year. So yes. kind of kicking averagely feels like such a downgrade when really he still kicked okay. But it's yeah. hard to it's hard to compare it to how freaking good he was last year. So that's, yeah. that's kind of where that looks. They had no return game to speak of after the first few weeks of the season. And Alexander Gagne was pretty good at tackling, but not like... 
to the next level. So it pretty much it came down to pretty much all of the votes you were expecting, which brings us to the coach of the year discussion that I want to have a little bit because okay. I know you put your vote on Twitter. Yes, yes, I did. I was trying to also, uh, you know, appease a lot of the... I was in the Kahari camp for mm-hmm. most of the season. And then you see, you know, how historically good this Tiger Cats team has been. Mm-hmm. And going through some adversity, losing Jeremiah Masoli, you know, everything they've been through. Uh, our good friend Josh Smith kind of brought me over to the Cat side. Yeah. And, and as a largely neutral observer in all of this, you know, there's, there's another team with a fan base that's passionate. But, uh, no, I, I, I think my pick would be for Orlando Seinhauer, but I'm, I'm definitely, like, I, I, I mean, this is the most obvious top three in, in any coach well, of the year, if I any think, of, If any of the three win, you can't say it's a wrong selection. That's, that's kind of no, where we're at. No, absolutely not. Um, but I'm with you with Orlando Steinhauer, but I think there is a path for Craig Dickinson to win this thing still. I think Kahari yeah. isn't tough up against Orlando. Um, but the one, the one thing that I, I would, if I had a vote in this thing, I would vote for Orlando Steinhauer because of how good Hamilton's been. And I know I've seen a lot of people and a lot of people, this one, this applies to hockey all the time when we're talking about coach of the year or the Jack Adams award. Yeah. And for some reason, voters are afraid to give it to a good team that is expected to be good and is in fact very good. Yes. Like that is somehow a flaw. Like that is something to look down upon. I think... When the expectations are as high as they were for the Hamilton Tiger Cats coming into the season, to meet those expectations and perhaps even surpass them, because they still have a shot at making a franchise record for wins in a season here, yeah, is worthy of nomination, is worthy of winning. Because, yeah, okay, they're a very good team, but it takes a very good coach to keep a very good team with a lot of skilled players and different egos and all that kind of stuff working together toward the common goal still. And so well, and that, injuries and adversity yeah. and, 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 and playing a lot of, like, they played a good chunk of tea. Uh, uh, and I'm not in the Hamilton's beaten nobody camp. That, to me, is well, a bullshit uh, argument yeah, and a yeah, stupid we, argument. Yeah, because Josh put up the point. Because someone said, uh, you know, Craig Dickinson should get it because the Riders have had a tougher schedule. What? Everyone plays the same 16 games. There's two games that are different. The Riders got to play BC in extra time. That's a wash compared to playing some other team in the East in extra time. So there's right. only one game difference, which is Winnipeg. That's not enough to skew the schedule being so much more difficult. So so no, don't even try. Not. This is not the NFL. No. This is not college. No, no, and it's just it's just comical that people still people still make make that argument and oh you caught guys on a on a week week. Well, well, again, the thing is that's impressive, and I think there's so many interesting parallels. With Saskatchewan and Hamilton this year, which was like, <laughs> like there was so the expectations were so high in Hamilton. The starting quarterback goes down. They deal with injuries. New coach Steinhauer comes in, writes the ship, keeps everything going. And you know, we all expected, you know, if you go back to our episodes, we all expected the Riders to be a playoff team. We did not expect them to be in a position to finish first in the West Division by any sense of the imagination. No. And then Kahari Jones, you just look. You know, you get he is going to get some love for, you know, steering that absolute like bringing the Montreal Alouettes from a complete dumpster fire trash shit show to respectability again. Um, I mean, you're going to well, you're well see being him, him while just being like a wicked cool dude in the process. Like, well, well, and, that's, and, this, <laughs> and this is and this is the funny thing, too, Joel, as, as you're seeing guys like Chris Jones, you know, disappear. 
and the heart and the J and we all know we all both think that Jason Moss should have been gone a long time ago. That mm-hmm. you're starting to see teams with chill human beings as coaches. You know, your Kahari Jones, who's dancing to Led Zeppelin during a, you know, coaching challenge. And yeah. your, you know, Craig Dickinson, who's famously, you know, a pretty laid back guy. Having some success, you know, you're starting to wonder, is, 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 is the coaching mentality starting to change, at least in the CFL? Right? Yeah, I, I mean, so, there's, there's always ebbs and flows in coaching. It depends on the franchise. If you go from a hard ass, you kind of want to follow that up with the player's coach, and you kind of, you more or less kind of rotate back and forth a little bit. Is kind of how it goes for the most part in sports, I find. Right. No, and, and you're absolutely right. And I mean, the Riders are such an example of that, going from you know, Mister Hard Ass to you know, Mister Super Cool Chill Guy, and watching the performance on the field change. Right. So, it's. Um, but yeah, I, I I think, I think if any one of those three guys wins. You can, you know, I, nobody's going to be surprised. And I think definitely Ryder fans are passionate about their team and they are going to be passionate about, you know, thinking that Craig Dickinson deserves the love that he does rightfully so deserve. It's just I think this year he's running into, you know, a guy that's, you know, managed expectations in a, in a tough football market, lost a starting quarterback and has set a franchise record for wins. I mean, Hamilton looks like a juggernaut right now. Yeah, and I think in a lot of other years, all three of the guys would be a slam dunk in any kind of year. But yeah. there, there is still a path to victory here for Craig Dickinson, and we're gonna get, I'm gonna get a little electiony on this a little bit. Yeah, when you say path to victory, I'm like, what, what am I watching? <laughs> watching CTV's coverage of the election? What the hell's going on here, Gaston? So, it, and it's gonna involve a little bit of regional bias and all that because I, I think there is, there is still the possibility, depending on how the East votes for their coach of the year that there could be a bit of a split between Gahari and Orlando. Yeah. And then if Craig gets enough support from Western voters, that might be enough to carry him through. Yeah. And not that I'm suggesting that should happen. I'm just saying, you know, we, it's it, you, you people, you know, the Western media for the most part, you, you know, more about the Western teams, et cetera, et cetera. Eastern play media, you know, more about the Eastern teams, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I, I think there's a possibility there. I, as I said, I believe Orlando Steinhauer should win, but there is an opportunity there because I, I also believe Orlando Steinhauer should win because, yes, his team met expectations, but these are the expectations that we on the outside have put on them. And for some reason, yeah. that holds some kind of great value. But I bet if you talk to the riders, you talk to the Alouettes internally, they've met expectations this year. They've done yes. exactly what they thought they were going to do. Teams like BC and Edmonton have not. Yes. Toronto and Ottawa have not. But this because we place these expectations on teams like we thought the Riders were going to be okay. They're just going to be in tough in a very ridiculously insane West Division. We thought Montreal was going to suck still. Well, either Kahari Jones is that genius of a coach or this, there just wasn't something we didn't know about this team. And I think it, it ladders more along maybe we didn't quite understand or see how this was going to come together quite so well. And of course, Vernon Adams, you know, luck kind of plays into it a little bit as well. But I think just because some, uh, you know, coaches of teams exceed expectations that were set from the outside suddenly right. makes them better coaches than someone who, you know, coached a team to the best record in the league when everyone expected them to, which is very difficult to do. Right, right. And you're absolutely right on that. You know, the, the expectations are artificial and not created created by the teams, but 
you know, it, it is media that votes on these. And I think the mm-hmm. only thing going against Craig Dickinson in terms of Western media, I think Western media is far more likely to vote for an Eastern guy acknowledging, you know, because I, I just find Western media, you have a lot more long term CFL guys that are more passionate about the sport and the league as a whole than you would in the East. I think in the East, you're going to have probably, oh, which, yeah, OK, one of these guys. Right. Um because there's not a ton of full-time reporters out there covering the game in the East like there is in the West, right? So mm-hmm. there is a path to victory if everybody goes regionally, but yeah. I just I, I, I see I see a lot of the respected media guys. Like you know, you know a lot of the rider guys are are gonna vote for Craig Dickinson and, and it has really been a great season. But but I, I see a lot of lot of the outliers, like some of the knowledgeable Edmonton and Calgary guys. I see them signing with Orlando Seinhauer for the exact reasons that you and I have talked uh, about. Uh, yeah, like I wasn't predicting that was what was going to happen. It was just something that, in theory, could happen. It's true. Yeah. Uh, one guy. Never know what happens at the football reporters of Canada breakfast the day before, right, or whatever, yeah. whenever they do the vote. <laughs> uh, so one guy who's definitely not winning Coach of the Year is Jason Moss as the no uh, the writers right. the writers effectively. Control that football game. I'm not going to say they put the boots to them. It wasn't a score that I wouldn't necessarily say flattered the Eskimos, but it was. It was, still was not a great outcome for them. It was not a great game. And I think the SCH proved that pretty much everything we thought about the Eskimos, we saw in person. We saw a team yes. that has, uh, and it was an interesting, if you read uh, Kirk Petten's piece in The Athletic every week, he continues his insiders thing that he used to do with the Winnipeg Sun for the longest time. And there's the one piece that I sent you earlier today where it talked about the Eskimos' defense. And yes. I'm going to quote it here. It said, quote, Two things about the Eskimos. They're always either five or seven-man pressures. After a few weeks, the data showed us how predictable they were. The other thing is double-move the Eskimos, and they're in trouble. They can't cover, so they have to be over-aggressive. And while their defense and their blitzing and you know their pressuring the quarterback is the thing that they do best, I think that sort of amplifies everything that we thought about the Empton Eskimos of they have some pretty good talent. They're just a poorly coached team. And that's essentially what we saw was a team that got off to a pretty decent start is unable really to make any kind of significant adjustments in game. The riders were because as much film as you want to watch on the Edmonton Eskimos blitzing, it's very different until you see it in person. They saw it in person. They adjusted after being down 14, nothing early and basically just won the game from there on out. No, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they are they are predictable. Um, they are not a well-disciplined team. And they're just, they're not a good football team. They're, no. they're not a well-coached football team. The names you see, the talent, I would almost argue they are more talented, at least on paper, than the Riders are in some spots. Oh, definitely but, at like quarterback and receiver and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. But they, but they just can't, they just can't bring it together because, because of their predictability and 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 you know, Moss supposed to be some sort of offensive guru. There wasn't once I saw their offense and went, oh, geez, that's dangerous. Even watching the game, you know, a- a- as you mentioned, you know, you can watch, you can watch what this defense does, albeit predictable. You can watch what this defense does on film, but to see it and and. And that's an interesting point you raised too, Joel, because I've been back in my day when I was doing play-by-play for the Hilltops, uh, I talked to the team and I said, can I sit in on film once a week? You know, I know that some some teams are leery about that. They're like, hell yeah, no, come on in and, and, and sit. So I'd sit in with defensive film once a week. I'd sit in with offensive film once a week. 
And it is one of those things that you see it on film, you know it's coming, and it takes you some time to adjust. And that is what great teams do. They know it's coming. You know, they might get punched in the mouth a little bit. They make the adjustments and everything. So, and that's exactly what happened to the Riders in this game against Edmonton, right? So that's kind of been a testament to the Riders this entire season is their ability to adjust offensively and defensively, which, you know, which, which can be – some teams just don't seem to do it, a lot of mm-hmm. the Edmonton Eskimos. But the Riders are well-coached. They make their adjustments, and I think that bodes very well for them, you know, heading both into this week and into the rest of the postseason. Yeah, so yeah, the Eskimos went up 14 nothing early, and I kind of went, oh, for a second. Um, we both, we both we, kind of, we, we, we were sitting we there on the couch like... watching the game together going, Ugh. But then, yeah, they calmed things down, and it, it kind of went the way I thought the Banjo Bowl was going to. It obviously didn't, because Winnipeg's a far better team, and it kind of steamrolled from there. But, because yeah. watching the Banjo Bowl, you know, at the time... When the Eskimos, the sorry, the Bombers went up seven nothing early, and it was whatever it was ten nothing at one point or something, and then the Riders had a pretty good drive, and it felt like the game was going to calm down and slow down, and the Riders had to slowly regain everything from there. That didn't happen, but that did happen in this game against the Eskimos because basically there was a point from the at some point in the second quarter until the fourth quarter touchdown drive, the Eskimos did absolutely nothing offensively. Yeah, and that's what this defense does. Yeah, okay, they will give up some chunk yards early. We've seen it pretty much every game. They give up a little bit early, but then they, they, they kind of get the idea of what the other team is doing, and they adjust to it, and they shut it down. That's more or less what they've done because, yeah, you know what? They didn't get a lot of pressure on Trevor Harris. Been Historically, especially for this team, it's been very difficult to get pressure on Trevor Harris because he gets yeah. the ball so, so damn quick. Jason Shivers oh, yeah. had a great plan to say, okay, we're not going to blitz him because we need our guys back, but we're still going to remain relatively aggressive and not really give him any good targets to look at. And that's pretty much what they did the rest of the game. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, again, those adjustments are the hallmark of a good team and a well-coached team. And that, that again, you know, I almost have a feeling that, that even with the flack that Edmonton is, is, is getting for resting guys coming up on this weekend's game, I still have a feeling you might see something a little funky out of them, just as a, as an attempt to. Oh, yeah. like, you know. I've, I've had this, I've had this conversation with friend of the show Dan Plaster occasionally, mm-hmm. where he where we talk we talk a lot about Edmonton because they're kind of a weird team, and neither of us are that fond of Jason Moss either. Um, right, where he he kind of feels like Jason Moss is one of those you know kind of still even if the gaming's absolutely nothing, and he's he's going against that a little bit by scratching a lot of players this week, but generally speaking. He still feels like one of those win at all costs kind of guys, even if a game means absolutely nothing. You know, yeah. No, it doesn't 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 mean they succeeded at by any stretch of the imagination, but he still goes in with the mindset of thinking he's going to try to do anything to win this football game. Which again, and see, the funny thing is, is, is for this football game, the word trap game has been thrown up. Uh, thrown up. This is not a trap game. No, this is absolutely no. not a trap game. Like, like <laughs> there is something on the line here for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders because. It's not even like it's not even like the, the Calgary plays first. Calgary plays second. They have to, they know what they have to do. Mm-hmm. You go out, you get to spend the first week of the playoffs sitting at home, resting your injuries, and getting ready for somebody to come to New Mosaic Stadium, which is loud and people will be out and it'll be cold. And the Riders are built for cold, good football weather. Every advantage will go their way. They know what's on the line. Plus, this is an Ed- Edmonton team that, as much as Jason Moss is a bit of a maniac who is going to try to win at all costs. On the same note, this is still an Edmonton team that 
needs to play a relevant game, you know, in the East semifinal mm-hmm. next week. Yes, absolutely. So so you're not going to see like this is far from a trap game. This is this is Edmonton is still going to try to win this game. But yeah. their number one priority is getting out of it unscathed without putting too much on film for Montreal to take advantage of. A trap game to me would be I would feel more nervous if the Riders were playing Toronto this week than Edmonton. Because I think a team like Toronto, maybe BC a little bit, Ottawa, these teams that are the playoffs, you have guys that are still trying to play for their job, Mm -hmm. for their livelihood. You know, I wouldn't want to face McLeod Bethel-Thompson in the last week of the regular season, you know, with a chance to spoil it. Passing touchdown leader McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> touchdown leader. The guy's been chucking for a lot of yards. Like, I wouldn't want to face a Red Blacks team that there's a great chance that, you know, half the team could be gone because of salary cap issues. I wouldn't want to face that. I would rather face a team that, yeah, wants to rest everybody and stay very vanilla because they have a playoff game to play next week. And it just so happens that they also happen to be a pretty shitty football team at times. Yeah. T- to me, the definition of a trap game more so involves... Okay, you're playing a bad opponent this week with a really big game looming next week. And right now, the Riders are, don't have, aren't guaranteed to even play next week. I could see it being a trap game if they had it, if they were, if this was a game maybe to clinch second, there was no shot of first, but they're going to be second or third no matter what. So they kind of maybe yeah. look past this towards the West semifinal next week. Maybe okay. But generally speaking, there's, there's a, there isn't the big game looming on the horizon just yet. Everything's focused on this. And I think realistically, and I, I'm generally not this bold about games because in in, yeah. in one game sample size, anything can happen, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm a firm believer in that, that every game is its own sort of thing. Momentum doesn't matter from game to game doesn't matter. None of that really matters, quite frankly. Anything can happen. Right. That is, and that is still 100% a possibility. But realistically speaking, considering the Eskimos are going to play essentially no one and they are a bad team when they play everybody, if they're playing nobody, they're going to be even worse, and there is no reason why the Saskatchewan Rough Riders should not be able to come away with a win in this game. There's no question about it to me whatsoever. There is no concern about a trap game for me on this one or anything of the like. And I know Rider history suggests otherwise, but another big part of Rider history has been losing games they weren't supposed to at some point in the season and costing them. This Rider team has not done that to this point in the season. No. Craig Dickinson has figured out the formula for whatever reason with this franchise, with this team this year, to win the games they are supposed to win. And I see no reason why that will not continue on Saturday. Well, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we might be jinxing them because you and I, you said it. We've never been this bold. But the only thing that makes Edmonton a respectable football team is Trevor Trevor Harris's. Exactly. His abilities. No, he's not. Because his abilities as a quarterback, you said it earlier. Nobody gets the ball out quicker. It's just it's it's masterful what he does and just getting getting the snap, making his read, boom, finds his open man. That's he's made a career out of that. And Logan Kilgore is not Trevor Harris. And the Riders will be dressing everybody. Because ideally, if the Riders win this game and they dress everybody, it's their last action for two weeks, so you want to make sure everybody gets in, gets their reps in, feels good heading yeah. into the, you know. Heading into the playoffs. I, I think best case scenario is this team figures out the formula where they can actually start fast and they're up like 28 nothing at the half and then you roll out everyone else in the second half. Yeah, yeah. You, you make substitutions where you can where it's evident that both teams... You're right. A 28 nothing, a big rider lead 
Like that's that's the dream scenario. A big mm-hmm. rider lead at halftime where you know you're up against an Edmonton team that, you know, it just wants to get out of their unscathed. Both sides can say, okay, you've won the division. Let's just get out of there without an injury, right? So that's and that's the only thing that worries me. And this is coming from a guy that's a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan that remembers a meaningless handoff at the end of a one-sided East final to watch Kevin Glenn's arm just explode. That's that's all you're hoping for. A, you're hoping for first, but B, get everybody out of there healthy. Like that's we we can't have you know, no matter how many sprinkles of Jesus you put on a broken leg, that shit's still broken. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.